The following podcast is a special message by Jay and Catherine Wolf. For more information about their journey, please visit HopeHeals.com. I imagine most of us have fairly straightforward pictures in our heads about what our lives will look like and who we will become. When something happens that is not inside the four corners of that picture, we view it as a detour and hope to get back on track as quickly as possible. So what happens when you take a detour and can't ever get back to the original picture? My detour was a massive brainstem stroke that almost took my life. I had a six-month-old baby, and my husband was weeks away from finishing law school. Obviously, I lived. However, I've had 11 surgeries, and I can't do so many things I used to. And there is a profound sense of loss that lingers. But I've learned above all other lessons to discover a hope that heals the most broken places, our souls. Perhaps some detours aren't detours at all. Perhaps they are actually the path, the picture, and perhaps they can be perfect. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Hello. Hi, happy Father's Day. Hey. Great to be here. Yeah, it is so great to be here. We um, are, are Birmingham lovers in every way. We went to Sanford and just really love um, the city. And Jay lived in the little house off Columbia, like literally across the street did, for several yeah. years in college. And then one summer when he was in Spain with some of his um, fraternity brothers, I, a group of my girlfriends rented that same house. So we both lived across the street from your church at various periods. And it's a blast from the past. Love this neck of the woods. So thanks for um, letting us share with you today. Absolutely. By the way, I'm Jay. We forget to introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah. We sort of just start ranting and, and yelling and talking about things. I'm Jay Wolf, and this is my wife, Catherine. Sorry, yeah, Catherine. And we're so uh, grateful to get to share our story with you guys today. Uh, we love your church. We're so um, excited about what God's doing in and through Shades to the city and beyond. So we're grateful to get to encourage you a little bit today. We want to start by sharing with you the scripture that has just come to my mind over and over since the stroke. And as you'll hear in our story, scripture has just been deep inside of us and kind of come out when we needed it most. It's really cool how that happens, guys. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 8 
says that we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. <laughs> sorry, we are struck down. Sorry, what's the name? We are persecuted, but not struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be revealed in our bodies. And as we look out on this crowd, as we look out on any crowd, we know there have to be some of you who are feeling like you're going to be crushed today, <laughs> that you might be fearing you're going to be abandoned in your life or even destroyed. And first off, that's okay. <laughs> we've been there. We've sat in that seat and felt, God, where are you? But the good news about what we want to share with you today and the good news about the hope that we have is that because Christ was crushed, because he was abandoned, because he was destroyed for us, we will never be. And that's good news. That's the hope that we have as the people of hope that, that we get to overflow with into this world. The hope of what Christ has done and what he is doing and what he will do today. We like to start our story by telling you that it would be easy to just kind of remove this from your life and see this as like a cool morning at church to feel really inspired about your faith and like look at this couple who stayed married after tragedy, blah, blah, blah. But we think that would be really a mistake. So listen up. This actually is your story too. Which sounds kind of crazy, but the specifics here may be different. Maybe you're not dealing with life after a brainstem stroke and being severely handicapped or being a permanent caregiver for someone who is. And maybe your life looks absolutely nothing like this on the outside of your body. However, it kind of is your story too on the inside. Because we've all got brokenness, we've all got issues, we've all got wounds. In fact, we've all got scars, internal and external. And I'm showcasing on the outside of my body what we're all feeling on the inside of our bodies, whether we recognize that or not. We all have a lot of hard gunk going on. And in a way, it's like I get this pass. No one thinks, oh my goodness, she's doing great. Or when this sweet 34-year-old husband wheels me into the room, nobody's like, well, clearly they've got it all together. They're awesome and no, no problems. No, everybody's like, what happened to them? My goodness, they look so young, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they used to say that. <laughs> Not anymore. Um, they are kind of young, and she's in a wheelchair. And what, what happens? And wouldn't we all like that? Wouldn't we all like a big old T-shirt that says, treat me with care. I'm fragile. I've got a lot going on here on the inside. Yes, we would love to be taken care of by the world. And in a way, in a way, this is a blessing because it's more authentic to what we're all living out on the inside. Well, yeah, as, as we share our story today, we want you to reflect on this story as your story. 
Because the reality is all the stories being told in this world are, are yearning towards the great story of God in this world, the redemption of broken things, the healing that we long for, the things to be made new, new life out of death. This is all of our stories. And Catherine has said she's sort of a microcosm. So we'll start our story today where many great stories start, I think, at a wedding. And so Catherine mentioned we went to Sanford just down the road. So this is just such a sweet kind of moment to come and back and be reminded of where God really started our story. But we met at Sanford and married shortly after we graduated. Uh, it was this, uh, just a idyllic time. You know, we're 22 years old, bright-eyed, stupid. We don't know anything about the world, but we think we know everything. And uh, my dad, who was a pastor in Montgomery, uh, married us that day. And for some reason, he felt like he needed to preach over us the parable from Matthew 7. If you know that parable, Jesus asks his audience, what are you founding your life on? What kind of a foundation are you building your house on? Is it the rock or is it the sand, right? Because if you're building your house on the sand, not if the storms of life come, but when they do come, your house isn't going to be able to survive. But if you built your house on the rock, no matter the storms, you'll be secure and your house will not fall. So we're like, Dad, that's a little bit of a downer message for a wedding about the storms and the house and fall. I mean, that, the love chapter may be a little better. He knows what he's doing. And clearly, <laughs> it was profound that he would speak that truth over our lives. Because even as sort of, you know, naive as we were to the ways of the world, we would go out from that place to Los Angeles, 2,500 miles away from everybody we knew to, to pursue our dreams. And that question would reverberate. What are we founding our lives on? You know, not waiting until, oh, until after I get out of law school, which I was going to law school at Pepperdine at that time, or after, you know, we have kids or the career, and th then we'll worry about foundational things. But that seed was planted, you know, at the, from, the, from the start, we need to be founding our lives on Christ. And so we plugged into a church immediately, a church that we still attend to this day, Bel Air Prez Church. And we got really involved, the good Southern volunteers, you know, we had been married about six months, and they said, will anybody lead our young married Sunday school class? We're like, yeah, yeah sure, we'll do it, because the leader left, and we, I mean, why in the world would you let a 23-year-old lead a class on marriage who had been married six months? I don't know. But again, God had a plan, because he knew we would need in this early season of our marriage to be plugging into our marriage, to be thinking about it, to be engaging community of other married people, to be reading the word, to be memorizing scripture, to be being discipled. All of these things were preparation for the storms that were ahead. And so, uh, like I said, I was at Pepperdine for law school. Catherine um, had some uh, modeling opportunities in the Birmingham market and then had gone to LA to sort of pursue those as well. Uh, truly, I was big time, gang. I mean, we're talking, it, it was success. If you've ever seen success in the modeling world, this is a picture of it. I mean, I, I have gathered um, a portfolio of sorts of my best work, including this piece I'll show to you that was the Tiki Hut at Disneyland where I was the Tiki Hut Moo Moo model for their online Disney catalog. So there we have it, virtually Giselle, if you will, in the flesh here, on the Tiki Moo Moo Hut at Disneyland. It was a big day. And that's not me, I need to just say. It is not me. <laughs> I would not wear that shirt, but that moo moo is nice. Anyway, <laughs> from that pinnacle moment, as you can see, of our careers and our dreams, uh, 
You know, God really gave us this season, uh, this sweet season of new marriage. And let's just say it this way. We thought we had problems then. You know, we hadn't seen problems. <laughs> but, you know, we were working out in community and, and in our new uh, early married lives what it means to, to come together, to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And uh, we were gifted this wonderful community in Los Angeles, this amazing group of friends and church uh, and so fast forward a little bit, the last, my third year in law school, my final year, that fall, we had a baby. We were going to wait till we were 30, but we were 25, so you can kind of do the math. Again, God's plans for the perfect timing of our life. James Thompson Wolf was born October 16, 2007, but six months, five days after he was born, our lives would change forever, and that storm that we had never anticipated coming when we were 26 years old. Came and the question again would reverberate: What are we founded on? It was just a totally normal uh, Monday morning. I'd been in kind of a weird baby fog for months after having James, and so I didn't think too much of it. And things kept getting worse and feeling funnier. And I decided to take a pregnancy test and just see if that's what could be going on. And it was negative, and I just decided, like, I've got to shake off these feelings, and I'd signed up to take a meal to a new mother in our Sunday school class, so I began preparing it, put my baby down for a nap in the next room, and miraculously, he happened to come home from his final class in law school to finish a paper to turn in. And as he tells the story, procrastination saved my life because he was there. And basically, things got foggy, and I fall to my hands and knees, and they go numb. And I start throwing up. And I'm able to call out to Jay to dial 911 because something's happening. I have no idea what's going on. And I'm thinking food poisoning, we're going to need to go to the hospital, I'll have to wake up baby James from his nap, and we should bring a toothbrush in case we have to stay a night, and I'm thinking, surely this can't be anything serious, and they put me on the stretcher where they arrive, and they quickly determine that it is serious, because the vitals are normal, so they're thinking it's something to do with the brain, and they wheel me out of our apartment, and as we're leaving, I, I have several complicated thoughts, but basically we leave and I don't wake up for two months. I don't know what's happening around me for two months. So I, I'm imagining this is an overnight thing and it becomes something very different. As we tell this day in our lives where everything changed, this might be reminding you of the day in your life that everything changed too when you got that call or that diagnosis or the bottom just fell out. And it's absolutely head spinning, right? When we encounter these storms of life that we could never see coming. That's why the foundation matters, right? I remember grabbing our son, who was again six months old at the time, and racing behind the ambulance down the Pacific Coast Highway to Santa Monica. And Catherine had been taken to UCLA hospital. I knew there was a college. I had no idea there was a hospital. <laughs> you know, we didn't even have a doctor, really. Um, I remember, though, seeing a giant banner that said UCLA hospital, number three in the country, best in the West hospital. There are these little moments in our chaos when God gives us a glimpse that he is there to bring peace and order to our storms. 
And I remember running in the ER and looking around, not knowing what was going on. And I, I, I was very confused because I saw familiar faces in that place. It was a Monday afternoon. And all of a sudden, I realized it was my church friends there who had somehow gone before me <laughs> to be with me, not to tell me I was going to be okay and this is God's will and to put some platitudes or a little Jesus sticker on the bottom falling out of my life, but to say, I'm going to give you my presence and my tears, and I'm going to come serve you and help you through this. I think so often when the storms come, we cry out and say, where is God? Where are you? I can't see you, and I need you right now. I need to hold on to you and beat my hands on your chest even. And God says, look around. (laughs) This is what the body of Christ is about. The body of Christ comes alive when we need our invisible God to be made visible for us. And the neurosurgeon on call that day was an amazing man named Dr. Nestor Gonzalez, and he said, I need you to know that the prognosis is really grim for your wife. Um, She may not even make it through the day, honestly, or if we even attempt surgery, I I don't know if she'll survive it. She's having a massive brainstem stroke caused by a congenital defect, a malformation near her brainstem. So this is the worst location. It's the largest malformation of this kind I've seen. There's actually four aneurysms on top of it. Um, Her brain is experiencing so much pressure. It's being herniated down into her spine, and this is not survivable, and I'm so sorry because I was holding my six-month-old baby, and he knew that this was not the day (laughs) that I had anticipated. We had so many hopes for our future. I was about to graduate law school. We were going to move on to this new season. This is the world we live in. We don't know what tomorrow might hold. And I remember my friends, my community, the body of Christ came alive, and they helped carry me literally to the waiting room where we would wait for what was supposed to be an eight-hour surgery. And I remember in that moment, I mean, growing up in the church and being a part of church my whole life, I've never experienced church like I did in that moment. Because when our hearts overflow with worship to a God we can't see, in the midst of the bottom falling out, we know that that God is real. Because we sense him in the midst of our suffering, not in spite of suffering. And that is the truest overflow of worship to a God who is greater than we can even understand. About 100 people gathered that night in the waiting room. And we prayed and we sang and we laughed even. We had pizza. (laughs) You know, we had life in this moment, this slice of broken world that we lived in intersected by the light of Christ. I remember opening the tattered Gideon Bible that we found in the waiting room and and reading through Job and reading through Romans. And chapter 8 was Catherine's favorite chapter. And I remember thinking as that verse culminated and I read it out loud to the people gathered there that he's working all things for good. (laughs) Nothing can separate us from his love. Like, how could this even be? But I knew in that moment I was going to have to believe this with everything that I had. And so the eight-hour surgery went 12 hours and then 16 hours, and then the next day came, and it was April 22nd, and the sun came up on that new day, and the doctor came out looking exhausted, and he said, she's alive, but I don't know if she's going to wake up. She might be paralyzed or vegetative or locked in, but she's alive. And inexplicably, I think like the gift of grace, the gift of hope is also the gift, because it doesn't make sense in the moment. God gave me a little spark of hope, and Um, incredibly that night, so about 12 hours after this major surgery, and the doctor said, look, she's going to be in a medically induced coma for three or four days at least to give her body time to heal, so you should expect that. But the the neurosurgeon got a phone call that night, and he rushed back to the ICU because he assumed Catherine had died. 
But rather, the nurse said, I asked her to, I asked Catherine to hold up two fingers, and she is. <laughs> I asked her to wiggle her toes, and she is. She's not brain dead. She's not paralyzed. And basically, a medically induced coma cannot hold this woman back from communicating to the world, <laughs> which is impressive. But again, God was giving us a little glimpse. Just because I'm silent doesn't mean I've abandoned you. And so Catherine would be put on life support, and it was a, a huge roller coaster of 40 days that we were in ICU. Catherine was on life support until she could begin to breathe on her own again. But again, it was not 39 days or 41 days. It was 40 days. <laughs> and I believe God was telling us again, you don't have to be afraid. I'm here. After I was getting better enough, I had progressed slightly enough to go to the acute rehab, a different phase of the hospital. And I'd stay there for two and a half months. And then I'd moved for another year and a half to a brain rehab. When I was in that acute rehab phase first, I, I kind of woke up from that weird fog place I was in. And suddenly it, it dawned on me that my new life was like out of the stuff your nightmares are made of. I can't walk. My face is paralyzed. I'm going to hold up a mirror and I saw I couldn't eat. I had a tube in my stomach where they fed me and my baby was no longer taken care of by me. He had been exclusively breastfed and now he was being cared for by other mommies. And it took me several weeks to even process that months had gone by. I had no idea. Thought it had been a couple of days at most. And slowly I began to kind of wake up to what had happened. And I was getting better enough to transition to the brain rehab. And I, after moving to the brain rehab, I kind of woke up to this is like truly a nightmare unlike any you can imagine. And I say that recognizing that it was also incredible because I was getting well and relearning to walk and eat and speak. So I'm very grateful for my time in brain rehab. But it was really, really dark. There were three people who died from my rehab group while we were in therapy. So I was like dealing with up-close death and there are other people at Brain Rehab who are really angry and depressed about what's happened to them. And there are even a lot of other people who have lost their cognitive abilities. So they're the opposite of me, basically. They look normal on the outside, but they can't tell you their name or their spouse's name. And all these people are my new peer group. These are supposed to be my new friends, I'm thinking. And it wasn't like that at all. And I'm trying to get well in this situation. And I've been taken out of my mommies on the beach in Malibu with our new babies at law school. And now my reality is this. And it was a very, very, very dark time. The darkest of my life by far. And everyone asked me if I had a moment of total despair. And I, I say no, that I really didn't. Because if I did totally despair, I don't think I'd be sitting in front of you today. And yet I, I came dangerously close to that on several occasions. And the most um, paramount in my mind, for sure, is 
in November of 2008, I just failed my ninth swallowing test. So I couldn't swallow food, sorry. And they test me almost monthly to see if the, my swallow muscles had worked, would work again. And I failed. And Jay wheeled me back to our home, and he began playing with our son, our, who's one years old by this time, with his sisters who were in town, no less. And I'm watching them all get to engage James, which is so beautiful and so right that they would be, lifting him up and down. They're all running around, and I'm just kind of watching. And it dawns on me in that moment that, God made a mistake here. That if I were dead, then Jay could remarry a normal, happy woman without all these problems. And James could have a normal, healthy mommy. And if I were out of this picture, life would eventually be a lot easier for everyone. And just the final thought that kind of landed on me was... God isn't in this. This has to be like when he turned his back on me or something. And God surely couldn't have, couldn't have seen, couldn't have known that this was going to happen to me. I mean, like my life's over and I'm 26. And as we shared with you at the beginning... Um, and I've never done that before. I've never shared that, but I felt led to share it with you that scripture had deeply encouraged our hearts since we were small. And I'm talking like in vacation Bible school at five years old, small. And I think it came out, just the floodgates opened inside out, but also I think up down straight from God to me, like a memo. I didn't hear his voice or anything. But in that very darkest moment, um, I'm going to read it to you from the book because I don't want to mess it up. Um, exactly what it was that just deeply spoke to my soul in that moment. Catherine, you are not a mistake. I don't make mistakes. I know better than you know. I'm God and you're not. Remember that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb, and that is where the ABM formed in your brain. When I was born, by the way, it was there. There is purpose in all of this. Just wait, you'll see. There is no replacing you. Jay could never, ever marry a woman like you. God said that, by the way. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's true, though. <laughs> James could never have a mommy like you. Think what this will mean for his life. Mommy's stroke will always be a part of his story. That's a gift to him. It will inform his life. Let him consider it pure joy as he grows. All of this will teach him in ways beyond anything you could say or do. Trust me, I am working out everything for your good. Don't doubt this truth just because you're in darkness right now. What's true in the light is true in the dark. I know you can't fight this. That doesn't matter. 
All you have to do is be still and let me fight for you. I will complete the good work I began when I gave you new life. I will carry it on to completion. Believe that. My nature is to redeem and restore and strengthen. This terrible season will come to an end. You will suffer for a little while. And then I will carry you out of this. You will see my goodness in the land of the living. Lean into this hope. Let it teach you how special you are. Most people will never go through this type of hell on earth. I have chosen you. Live a life worthy of this special calling you have received. And for those of you who know a, a good bit of scripture, have walked with the Lord a while, that's around 15 verses that were just tucked deep inside my heart um, when I was like little. And I didn't even know I knew half of them, but they were in there somewhere swimming around and came out like a dispatch from God to me to encourage my heart. And it did. I could carry on. I almost felt in that moment special. I felt, um, oh, like this crazy paradigm shift of God has like, seen this and said, you can handle it, which I don't believe. He handles things through this broken vessel. That's what I believe. But I felt like chosen, felt cherished. And it, it worked. Like <laughs> I'm sitting before you today and it's really beautiful and emotional to say that that last line, Ephesians 4.1, that now live a life worthy of the special calling you've received. And just very humbly I say to you that, like, who's on stage right now talking about Jesus? <laughs> like, how beautiful to, from a seat of honor, get to... Um, Share the special calling I've received. And that's how we all must think of the hardest things. I don't know if you're in here today, the sweet man. But that's how we all have to think of tragedy. That way down the road, we can see how it's a special calling that God uses. Anyway, too much talking. <laughs> and uh, crying, golly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't clap. Oh, no. Glory to God. And we call that moment in that fall of 2008 our epiphany of hope. That was a paradigm shift in our lives. And yet, you know, so often we want to sort of say, okay, God, I get it. I, let's check off that box from the bucket list. <laughs> let's move on to, to other things that I want in my life now. Let's move on to this vision of this life and this future that I have and I feel entitled to because of what I've been through, right? That's not too much to ask. And we would go through a lot more valleys and a lot more hard times, frankly, after that day. And yet we were seeing the world differently. We were seeing this calling on our lives differently. It would be, another, it would be a, a full year almost before Catherine ever ate food again. Let me tell you, we celebrate a lot of food eating <laughs> to this day. Every moment's a reason to celebrate. 
And it took about 18 months for Catherine to walk again. And it's still very impaired, as you can see. But um, about two years then after the stroke, we moved back to our community and our friends and our church in L.A. And I think in many ways that had been a sort of a hope that we had, that we could just get well enough to go back and maybe kind of tiptoe in the back door as if nothing had happened, you know. And God says, that's not how this works. You're different now. I've given you a different calling. I don't want you to go back to the way things used to be, and you can't go back. And I remember in fall of 2010, so again, we had just moved back home. There's all this excitement of this new normal and this new life we're trying to embrace and figure out. And we go see our beloved neurosurgeon for an annual appointment, and he comes into the room crying. And that's not a good sign when your doctor's crying before he tells you something. (laughs) And he said, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but you have an aneurysm, a totally separate thing, on the good side of your brain, behind your good eye. And we felt kicked in the stomach in that moment by God. (laughs) I thought we had a deal. You know, I thought we had a deal. At least we could check off the brain-related suffering, right? And God says, I'm inviting you to trust me. (laughs) To know that thus far I have brought you to this place, and I'm going to keep bringing you to where I have for you in your future. You know, do you want just deliverance from hurts in your life, or do you want the deliverer? of all the hope in the world. (laughs) God says, you're holding on to these things that I know feel so precious to you, but I'm inviting you to open your hands and release them to me because I made them. I have purpose for them. I'm going to use them immeasurably more than you could ask or even imagine, but you've got to let them go. (laughs) And in that place, you're not losing anything. It feels like you're losing when you let go of things, but rather now you're open to receiving everything. And I remember four years after Catherine Stoke, she had relearned to walk, and she had tried so, so, so hard. And a goal in her mind was to walk James, our eight, uh, he's now eight, but at the time he was five, to his first day of kindergarten. The school was one block away, and it, it was just, it was, she was ready to do it and be a normal mommy. You know, not too much to ask, right? About a week before, out of the blue, she broke her leg nearly in half just from walking, And again, even more than the pain of the broken leg was the pain that this will never end, will it, God? On this side of heaven, are we always going to just suffer? (laughs) And what was beautiful in that moment, though, is that I pushed Catherine in her wheelchair and James sat on her lap, and she was the mommy that God made her to be. And God says, I'm going to take you to those places that I've given you visions of. I'm going to let you walk your kid to school, but it might look different than you thought it would look. And then I'm with you, and I have purpose and plans for your life, and I'm there in the midst of your pain. You're not alone. Don't be afraid. Yet God continues to call us all to live out this unique calling on our lives. It's not just us. It's not just people with kind of crazy stories and (laughs) loud voices. Each and every one of us, God has given this unique calling on our lives. Through the power of his Holy Spirit, he has filled us with the hope of what he has done and what he is going to do in and through us. The question is whether we will live out in our bodies, like Catherine said in 2 Corinthians, literally live out and embody the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. That is our calling. That is your calling to go from this place and to overflow with hope into this world that needs it. 
So, so most recently, we've been able to do that a little bit. We've been able to show um, near death and new life in a very beautiful way. In our story, we um, celebrate a week from today on the 26th of June that we will have a one-year-old. Maybe John Nestor will be one years old um, next Sunday. And it's overwhelming. Obviously, I wasn't supposed to have a baby. Um, I'm on Medicare. Like, they, they don't cover pregnancy on Medicare. It's pretty unusual that um, you have children in a wheelchair. And um, we named that baby John Nestor, and I'm going to read you why. Um, John, the apostle, brother of James, no less, which is our older son's name, the disciple whom Jesus loved, it says in John 13, 23, told of a man who was blind, born blind, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that's John 9, 23. John's middle name, Nestor, honors Dr. Nestor Gonzalez, whose life's work has been giving Second chances to patients just like me. The name Nestor means wisdom, remembrance, homecoming, and seeker of miracles. And whenever someone asks the origin of John's non-traditional middle name, he'll have a chance to tell his story. And in the telling of his story, like all our stories... He will bear witness to light and darkness and life out of death to a God who saved his mommy and in so doing saved him too. And that's our story to date. That God has used our suffering just like he uses yours in the most incredible ways to um, transform the worst things into beautiful things every day. Let us pray for you guys. We'd love to pray. Thank you for letting us be with you this morning. May be encouraged by what God's doing in and through your pain. May you overflow with hope into this city and beyond. I'm going to pray for you. Lord God, we thank you for this day, this space to carve out time to gather together, God, and to retell each other this same story, God, that we're all living out. Lord, your story, may it be the thing that motivates us. May it be the thing that gives us encouragement, that helps us know we're not alone and helps us to not be afraid, God. As we go out of these doors where we don't know what's next, Lord, as we don't know, Lord, the future for any of us, but we trust you. And we love you, God, and we've seen what you've done in our life before. Give us courage to keep trusting that you're going to take us through, Lord. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you give us perseverance and endurance to run the race that you have set out before us, Lord. Help us not to ever look left or right, but to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, we know that it's about you, and we make it about so many other things, and it's really about um, 
persevering through this broken world, Lord, giving you the glory and fixing our eyes solely on you, Father. Give us, give us eyes to live that way, Lord, and give us all joy, tremendous, deep, real joy. As I learned in vacation Bible school that they no doubt have at Shades Mountain Church when I was five years old, we've got the joy, joy, joy down in our heart, Lord, and Let it come out when we need it most, Father, in the hardest times, Lord. Just give us a deep and real joy that will combat um, the darkest, saddest situations, Father. We give you praise and glory for everything that you're doing in our lives, Jesus. We love you. Amen.